So, Andy's been involved with the church on and off for many, many years, hasn't he? Um, yeah, I used to have brown hair. Um, it's that long ago, it was like, um, I was married here in 2001, got that right, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, children, um, both our wee girls that were tiny, jumping around on the platform over there, now 19 and 20. And it's amazing, you know, this is a church, and obviously it's, to me it's that building, This bit, it's just church, you know, we are God's people. And this is a church that has blessed us, that sent us out, commissioned us to, to go and to, to, to do that. But they didn't just send, you haven't just sent us and abandoned us. We, we've been upheld. We, we constantly receive just little letters or messages or it just blows your mind to hear, even this week, someone message to say, I've been praying for you guys for 25 years. And you go... Wow, one, am I that old? But two, it's like God's faithfulness in God's people is so encouraging to just to do that. And, and so we've been really blessed Thanks, just Andy. by what this church has given and keeps giving to us. I'm so. really excited to hear what you have to bring. Also, your wife, Louise, was my first ever Sunday school teacher, just to put it into context for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, for even older. Many years ago, many years ago. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? And yeah, then hand over yeah to you. please do. Lord God, I thank you for my brother in Christ. Thank you for your servant, Andy, Lord. Thank you for the message that you've put on his heart to share with us, the message of hope this morning. May we be a church of people that are open to your movement this morning, Holy Spirit. Open to the power of your words. Just come, have your way in us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you. The pulpit shrunk. <laughs> Gonna need a bigger pulpit. If you've got your Bibles with you or a Bible app, if you want to be looking for Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to be today. I've got a copy, so... You noticed I had to be handed stuff when, when I left there. I was pretty able-bodied. And in 2009, I had a, a car accident. And I've had multiple back breaks since then and, and surgeries to, to reconstruct my spine. But one thing that God has always remained faithful is that you will preach my word. And those days, some days, which we're talking about hope today, and it's that hope that the one thing that God promised he'd never take my voice and that has been so per pertinent at times when you're laid in a bed feeling you're, knowing your whole body's pretty much paralyzed and and still nothing much from below here but knowing that I still have a voice to declare how faithful our God is and this is my story we just sung it it's a great great song what is your story because your story is what will encourage someone. And we're going to look at some stories today of just really everyday people, but with a God who could do the impossible, who could do the inconceivable, who could do things beyond their imagination, beyond our imagination. And understanding then how that impacts us as a church, as his people. 
I'm going to start reading at verse 5 of Luke 1. It's a fairly long reading, but it's often we hear these two accounts of, of John and Jesus um, apart, and I think it's good to actually hear them both together. So, Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple, the temple of the Lord, and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years? And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent here to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take their place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. to work. Can you do that, Simon? That's right. So Advent, as we enter this first week of Advent, even though we're not in, in December yet, it's still the first week of Advent, but Advent is a very powerful time. It, it doesn't just fix us to Christmas and to the Christmas story. It stitches together the whole of the Bible, really, the whole account, right from beginning and looking forward to the end. And this passage that we've just read, I know it's quite long, but in a way it's necessity because of its depth. And its correlation, it's exactly the right people at exactly the right time. Every name has so much meaning. Every prophecy is fulfilled, which has already been told. There's nothing new here. This is just stuff coming that has already been foretold. These births have been declared and declared over and over again in the Old Testament. And they prove to us how God honours He honours his word, he's faithful, he continues to honour people's lives. And even today as we open our lives and we move forward in our time and into our tomorrow and as we hunger for more of him, we need to understand that he still is our only hope. He is the only hope. There are not multiple options as some would have us believe. There is only one way. And so we're looking at these, not three men and a baby, but two, two babies, two men, two, two women, these, these ordinary couples that would change the world eternally. And for the people of God, these are miracles upon miracles. But what does that mean to me? What, what does that mean to you as a church, to us as a universal church? What does it mean to a world who is so desperately looking for hope like oxygen? To a world that is suffering so much, and not just non-Christians. Because we're not immune to life. It still happens, as we've heard testified this morning. Life still hits us. We're still in the world. Jesus didn't take us out of it. 
And sometimes you go, Lord, why didn't you just save me and take me home? Because at times it's really hard and it's really tough. It's because we have a hope to profess. As Paul said, always be prepared to give that hope, to tell your story. And I was thinking back, coming back here has been really emotive. this, This was the church that gave me hope. This is the place where Christ, he didn't find me, he'd never let me go, but he... This, is, this was a, a huge turning point for me. You see, when I lived on the streets or, or was in going through the hostels or lost in the occult or, or in drugs or drink, there were times when I had no hope. And that was the point where you go, well, what's the point of getting up? I might as well end it. I might as well commit suicide because I have no hope. And that's what happens when you have no hope. You have no why, why do I exist? What is the point in life? And as, as, the pro, as it was quoted in the Proverbs, a, a hope deferred basically kills your heart. What, what is the point of me, of my existence? What do I bring to this commun- community? But would I dare say I would still have those same feelings as a Christian and even a Christian leader? And I can still remember time after time of facing operations thinking, these are big and they'd read to me and the the guys would come and see me and say, you do realise this could happen, this could happen, that could happen. And I'm thinking, "I, I might meet my maker. And I'm not ready... And suddenly all this great hope and fear and suddenly all the hope and faith, great faith that I thought I had sort of went down the plug hole. Like it's sort of, you know. And it's like, and then you start beating yourself up. Oh, why aren't I so, you know, why I thought I was better faith than that. And you start praying these crazy prayers. Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. And this, and we know that's not how he works. But, but we start realising, until you find yourself in a hopeless situation, whether we have hope or not. Why am I not this great giant of the faith? And then you start looking at the so-called giants of faith and realising we're all in the same boat. We all have to face our ups and our downs. Because this, these situations opened my eyes to the fact I needed to stop trying to be God and allow God to be God and understand that I am the child, he is the father. Not childish, childlike. As Jesus said, we come to the kingdom childlike, allowing him to father us. I have the privilege of spending a lot of my time in, in, in special pastoral care to, with those you, that you can't even imagine what they've been through or what people can do to other people and, and in leadership support as well. And I see time and time again, 
ministering to many broken people and many broken Christians who feel that somehow they were supposed to hide their shame, that they were supposed to hide their hopelessness, their pain, even their medication, because you're a Christian, it's okay, you shouldn't be doing, having any of this. And it's a lie, and the enemy kind of pushes us into this isolated corner and goes, well, look at you, look at them lot, they're all doing great. But look at you, you can't cope, you knew you were never cut out to do this Christian thing. It's a lie of the enemy. Because we've been, if you've been saved, if you've given your life to Christ, it's held in the palm of his hand and it can't be removed. And as David said, even if the whole world's collapsing around me and everything's falling down, I am still held in the palm of his hand. And this is what Advent proves to us over and over and over again. We have a faithful God. It's almost impossible to do, and in a way this shows the, the kind of futility of my question, but try and imagine God switched off. So you can keep worshipping, you can keep praying, you, you can keep building, because I know you've put a lot of effort into getting this. <laughs> we, we've been back and we've been back. And, but there's no response. There's no answer. There's, there's no hope. God's gone quiet. And for these Israelites, for these people praying, there's this, where's God gone? Not for a day, not for a week, but for hundreds of years. And as you flick through the last books, God sent guy after guy, or prophets as, as we call them, he sent them time and time again to say to them, stop walking your own way and come back to me. I love you, I love you, come back. And he'd rescue them and he'd put them on a solid rock and again they'd run away and he'd go and catch them, he'd bring them back. And then suddenly it's gone quiet. And the last few books of the Old Testament are heartbreaking. God saying, I've always loved you. And the people arguing about, really, you're getting us to do this and you're getting us to do that. And for God's people, those that were still crying out to him, Lamentations is this expression of sorrow. At the very end of Lamentations, as the book ends, it says, Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us, O Lord. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us will he ever restore us will he ever speak if we cross the unforgivable line and then we get to malachi the very last book of the old testament and we read these verse these these words remember the law of my servant moses the statutes and rules that i commanded him at horeb or that would be mount sinai in some some translations, for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And then nothing for 400 years. That's a lot of generations of hopelessness, of having to have faith that God would move. And I was watching online last week. We were down, we're down in Somerset now, we're just over the border from Dorset, and we were watching online. And, and as Chris was speaking, he, he started talking about Colin's word of the year, permacrisis. I was like, Chris, you're stealing my word. And then I realized God was going, no, I'm stitching together something. I'm bringing this church. doesn't matter who speaks. God knows what he wants you to hear. This permacrisis was Colin's word of the year 2022. Apparently it sums it up. This new state of hopelessness, of bouncing from one crisis to the next crisis, of fear and state of worry, of is there no end? Something many have never experienced. And Chris was saying how he'd love to get, I can't, he had a fancy word for two words put together. I'm not that clever. It's just two words stuck together for me. I'm, but he was saying they, he want, wished he'd get one in the, the dictionary. Well, I'd love us to turn permacrisis into permachrist, to bring hope. That's what we want to do. That's what we're called to do. Permachrist, the eternal one. The ancient of days. Not that he's old, just that he goes on forever. That's our God. See, these people of God, the, the Israelites, they hadn't given up. They were still praying in obedience. Why? Because God had said in Malachi, Remember me, and behold, I will. It's like we do in communion. Remember me, remember me. And in a way, we still have this same attitude, if you like, to God being switched off when it comes to the second coming. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. That's like, realistically, am I expecting that this afternoon or tomorrow? It's a long time since I heard anyone speak on that. Because God seems to, doesn't seem to be in our now. And suddenly these people are praying and it's now. See, when I pray, I don't know about you, but I have this tendency to, one, I kind of expect God to do things my way because it's far more sensible and a lot more direct. And, you know, it kind of, it works until I realise after it never would have worked. But, and that he should do things in my time scale, which generally means he should have already done them, or could he at least do it in the next hour or so? And if I'm in a bad place, that he needs to get me out, you know, like, I'm a Christian, get me out of here, kind of thing. It's like, but actually, we find God doesn't often do that. Actually, he's like, no, I'll join you where you are. So do you want to be in the furnace with me or out of the furnace without me? And it's like, oh, yeah, I get what you're doing. <laughs> I, 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 God's quite blunt with me, really. I kind of have to, to hear it. 
But it's what we're like, isn't it? But this Luke passage is actually mind-blowing. Because Zachariah means God remembers. Not that he had a senior moment and forgot, but that he never forgets. He always remembered his people. And so Zechariah and the people, they were obedient, they were walking faithfully, his wife as well, they were walking faithfully, blamelessly it says. That doesn't mean that they were sinless, but they were walking faithfully with God. But they had no child. And I personally think Luke's put that in there to prove that the fact they had no child wasn't the result of God's kind of punishment. So many thought sickness or barrenness was a result of God's anger. And again, I occasionally do still meet people who think that somehow God's punishing people by doing this or doing that. But for Elizabeth, the reproach would have been so much of an heir to, to, for some, someone to pass the family line to, to be part of this continuing community. Anyway, Zachariah has chosen to burn the incense. And again, something incredible. We're, we're talking probably by that time upwards of 18,000, 20,000 priests because they didn't retire. And each one is only allowed to do this once in their lifetime, if they got chosen. To go into that very special place, the holiest place. And who does God pick? The one whose name means God remembers. And the whole community, read that, the whole community, it says, where are they? Outside praying. When God's people are united, joined together, and praying, they are a powerful force. The enemy has no ground to stand on. And suddenly Gabriel appears and he calls him by name and says, Your prayers have been answered. Your prayer has been answered. Oh, and you're going to have a baby. I'm kind of not sure which terrified him more, but not only is God back after, not that he'd gone anywhere, but he was, he was back communicating after all these years, calling him by name through this angel, not any angel, but Gabriel of all angels, who we'll talk about in a minute. He must have wondered, who on earth did the incense this morning? <laughs> You know, this was crazy. This was like... <laughs> and, and as usual, the angel appears, and it's not like the cards fluffy and grinning like a minion. They are powerful, terrifying agents of God. And everywhere in Scripture, they bring a holy fear, a, a, a reverence, a holiness which is something I feel we would need to recapture. A sense of awe in the presence of the Almighty of which we sit and stand today. 
This is Gabriel. And those, if you read back into the middle of, probably about the middle of your Bible, Daniel 9 and 10, there is Gabriel, known as the end times angel. And Daniel, hundreds of years before Zechariah was there, praying for the same, for his people in the same way. Praying for forgiveness, for the salvation of his people. And Gabriel comes and says, one is coming. One is coming. But look how many years. That was hundreds of years before Zechariah. And then with the story we're talking about, it's thousands of years. Because Daniel was there, his people were in captivity. They were under oppression. Those of you old enough to remember Boney M. By the rivers of Babylon, Psalm 137, where we sat down and wept. We cried when we remembered Zion, our homeland. How do we worship God in a foreign land? Their situation seems so hopeless. And Gabriel says, one is coming. One is coming. And this is God's reaffirming over and over again through history. I know you. I remember you. I love you. I died for you. I rose for you. I came to rescue you. You may be unfaithful, you may run, but I am with you. I love you. And Zachariah is told, your prayer has been heard. And realistically, I kind of think our minds jump to the, the baby prayer, but realistically, as an elderly priest offering the incense that day, his duty was to offer the prayers for the nation, for salvation, for forgiveness, for hope for the Messiah. But his personal prayer, I'm sure he'd prayed many times with Elizabeth over and over for for a baby. Probably long given up on that prayer. And I know if I'm not careful, we start praying to our level of faith or into the level of faith we find ourselves into, not to God's ability and they're very different god's ability knows no end because how god does the unbelievable here he answers both prayers at once and to a scale and expectation and desire far beyond anything he could have conceived So that last prayer you prayed, that last act of worship you did, you have no idea what God is doing with that in the heavenlies. We found out by chance this week that someone had, well, not like just reminded, and it was a a kind of boost to me that someone had come to the Lord through something that had happened, and it was like, we didn't know. And I don't know if you sing that song, even when you don't know I'm working, that one. It's so true. That prayer, you, you have no idea what God is doing with that prayer you prayed. 
Gabriel declares, John will be great, verse 15. Again, that's no throwaway comment because everyone in Luke's day and to Luke's readers, there was only one great bloke around and that was Herod the Great. He built all these amazing things and and he did all this incredible conquering and he had huge lands far beyond Judea actually and built great structures and he was known as Herod the Great. Well documented in history. But not to God. No, John, the one who would be full of the Holy Spirit, well, the one that Jesus said was, there was no greater man born of a woman. He would be great. And one would be coming after him who was going to be even greater of the Most High. Jesus. God was coming, is coming through Advent to be amongst us, to rescue us, to live with us. Don't let the world's idea of success or greatness rob you of your hope or your joy because your hope and joy in Christ is indestructible, is eternal, cannot be taken away from you. And then we read in verse 16 of this chapter that we read, and he will turn, this is about John, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Do you see the echoes from Malachi? That was 400 years ago. The continuing story of God. And as the angel says to Malachi, Gabriel's got a few questions. I mean, sorry, Zachariah. How? How can this be? How many times have I, I don't know if you're the same, but I don't know how many times I've asked that of God. How? When? Why? And as you look back again to Scripture, you'll see most of us have. But this goes beyond the impossible. And Zachariah's going, I'm old. Tactfully, he doesn't call his wife old. She's advanced in years. <laughs> um, to- totally understandable that he, to me that he's got questions. But the angel turns around and says, this was your prayer. Your prayer has been answered. You prayed it, and now you're asking, how can it be? Again, God got me there. Because we do, don't we? And we read that in Scripture where people answer prayers. God answers prayers, and then we're like... And people come up often when we... I know we have, I meet with folks, and they come, wow, God's done this and God's done that. A bit like the 72 coming back to Jesus. Guess what happens when we do this, when we do that? It's like, yes, because all authority has been given to you when you speak the name of Jesus, when you speak hope, when you pray for that into that unbelievable situation, God can and will and do the impossible.
Here were pretty ordinary people. God was doing an amazing thing. And so many who experience God's miracles have asked that, how? But as Jesus declared, without me, you can do nothing. That's not a dig, that's an affirmation. Without me, you can do nothing. Because as we heard at the end of this chapter, with me, all things are possible. And as Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've left you the Holy Spirit. Put that together, and we're pretty amazing. I think so, anyway. (laughs) We have a hope. And Gabriel reaffirms that. How? Because I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent with this direct message to you by name to declare what I've been told to declare. And I believe God is truly speaking to us as a church today, looking for a people who believe and desire that, who are prepared to stand on his promises and proclaim his good news, to free the captives, to lift the brokenhearted, to set free those with no hope, to heal the sick, to touch the untouchable, to pick up the head that just has been trodden and trodden and trodden, to say, yes, tomorrow is worth living for. Or do we sit back in silence and go, well, I don't see how it could be. Because the Lord silences Zechariah, doubt and fear paralyze. It stops us, they, they pursue us, they grow in us. Hope in Jesus Christ has the power to break that. And I can testify to so many changed lives that have laid their fears and and their worst nightmares on the altar and God has come and said, I want to restore, I want to bring renewal, I want to bring hope into the worst of places. If we look through Jesus' story, where do you find him? Very rarely in the temple. He's with those that no one else wants to be with. And Elizabeth says, he's taken away. God has taken away my reproach. Again, seeing it through her eyes to her situation, but in a way just a micro view of what God was doing, about to do on a massive worldwide universal scale to take away the reproach, the sins of the world. As it's been said, once and for all, it is done, it is Done is finished. And Jesus himself declared that in Luke 16, verse 16. Let me catch up. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. 
Advent is about looking at the hope and expectation of the new dawn. Yes, as Jesus is born, but also looking back and seeing God's faithfulness over generation of generation, but also looking forward to the coming of Christ again, the never-ending kingdom. But as we look forward, are we a people prepared? Are we a people united? A people praying together? Are we serving one another? Jesus said, be the least. The least in the kingdom should be the greatest. Are we washing one another's feet? Those who need restoration, who, who need to, to be lifted, both in our church and outside of it. What about the generation that precede us? Or are we so focused and honed in on what church means for me, to me, in my situation now that there's a generation coming after us that needs to know, that needs to learn the hopes and the truths and the stories, that needs to hear you speak truth because the world is fast trying to erode it and even truth itself to say there is no truth. What is truth? It can be whatever you want it to be. No, Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father. A people prepared. And sometimes this isn't about me being this happy, clappy, perfect Christian about going, yeah, everything's fine, everything's cool. It's like, because some days it's through gritted teeth. Sometimes it's through days of absolute agony and you're going, why, Lord, why? And it's called a sacrifice of praise for a reason. Because it hurts. And altars don't tend to be comfy places to lay. And they can get a bit hot and... Someone clever once said, we have a tendency to crawl off. <laughs> but we are called to be in the world, to be lights in the world. Who else is going to bring the hope of Christ if we don't? And Mary, again, as was promised over and over, one would come in this supernatural way to save God's people, not realizing it was so much bigger than just their race, it was for the human race, for all people. And Gabriel again turns up, and she's more troubled by the message because Elizabeth may have had her reproach taken away, but for Mary, imagine this teenager this engaged to be married in that day and age, there would have been reproach, whispers, comments. Even the death penalty for adultery still stood. And we get this reassurance from God, which... Well, we should get this reassurance from God. Yep, there. Do not be afraid. To both people, do not be afraid. Hundreds of times that's spoken throughout Scripture, right across the board, because at times we are all afraid. And many of God's people throughout time who have had to walk into the impossible, to the impossible, to the everyday, 
But God's affirmation stands as it does today. Do not be afraid. Jesus is calling you to stand, to step out, to lay something down, to do the impossible, to have hope. I don't know what he's saying to you. Well, the Holy Spirit is calling to you. But do not be afraid. Because we have the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Mary overshadowed with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus left us that Holy Spirit's gift. Mary again. How will this be? It will be as God has determined and has ordained. And Mary's heart is open as she declared, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. We have a hope. And we are called to bring back the prodigals to pray for the lost like you guys did for me 22, 23 years ago. You didn't just show me hope. You loved me into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to read a bit from my story. Because I was going through utter hell, literally. Someone had given me a picture. This is someone from this church. They believe God had shown them to comfort me about how we are like a stranded and wounded beautiful bird caught in a horrendous oil slick with no way out, slowly dying. Along comes God like the rescue boat and lifts us out. He saves us, which is what he'd done for me when I'd allowed him to take control of my life. The problem is we are still covered in the oil even though we're out of the slick, the oil still restricts and threatens our life. You can't jet wash a bird. You have to get swabs and water and slowly and carefully and with great delicacy hand wash the oil out of the bird's wings. When the oil is gone, the bird is free to fly, to live again. I was going through the deep oil part. And I told the people that I was praying with all about my past, about deep hurts, deep wounds which had bound me up, stuff which I never thought would ever break the surface. And as it came out, it was like ropes being loosened. That was because there were no gasps of horror. There was no disgust in people's eyes or in their hearts. There was no shame, there was no condemnation, just love. Just a knowing nod and approval. Yes, we've seen this before. This is what the enemy loves to do. He traps you, it's how he destroys you. And when you think you're the worst, when the shame and disgust sets in, he has you at his mercy. For who else would want to know such a depraved creature as you? 
Well, our Lord Jesus Christ did, and he does. And 22, 23 years on, he still does, and he will continue to. And if you're sat there this morning or listening online or in the other building and you feel you have no hope, let me tell you, that's a lie because Jesus Christ came to buy you hope, to give you hope which can never be stolen, can never be eroded. Whatever life throws at you, you have hope in him eternal. And if you don't have that hope, then please don't go without coming and speaking to me or to Jim or whoever you came with and saying, I need prayer. Whether you're a Christian or not, if you're having a rubbish time and you just want some hope and some prayer or a hug, I've had loads of hugs. It's been great this morning. Some good hugs. Just grab someone and say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. That makes you human. God created us human. He gave us these emotions not to push down and hide, but to make us different, to make us real, because we love and we can feel and we praise him for that. I've gone completely off track, but anyway, God knows. But the the hope of Advent is this. As you move into Advent, this remembering, we sang at the beginning about remembering. God never forgets. And his heart sees and leaps for you. Zephaniah talks about him rejoicing over us. Rejoicing over us. And Romans 5.5, this beautiful verse, says, hope will never disappoint May we dare to echo Mary as we go into this week. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. For nothing is impossible with God, even the inconceivable. Amen. Amen. Shall I carry on? Yeah. Let's just close our eyes in prayer. Father God, you are a God of all hope. You are the one and only Father, you have left us your Holy Spirit to be our helper, our comforter, knowing that we would have times of trouble, knowing we would have times when hope had deserted us. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would come now by your Holy Spirit and just touch those. Lord, those crying out to you, Lord, in the silence now. If there's someone the Lord's bringing to mind that you've been praying for, you know is really struggling at the moment, again, let's just bring them onto the the Lord's altar. Just lay them into the, the presence of God. You're literally taking them by the hand and walking them into the presence of the Holy of Holies. There's no door on it anymore. There's no curtain. You can just walk them into the Holy of Holies.
Lord, we pray for those who are brokenhearted, for those who are lost, for those who mourn, for those who need your hope. Lord, forgive us where we've hidden, shied away, not trusted in your unending, unfailing love. And Lord, where those that are in pain and suffering, Lord, you know where you want to bring healing this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, bring restoration. You are the creator. Lord, we worship you this morning. Lord, you are holy and we adore you. We love you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you gave us throughout time, Lord, but finished on the cross, rising again. Lord, may we go into this day, into tomorrow, with a renewed sense of hope in you, but also aware of those who we do need to share with, Give us courage, Lord, where we're afraid to believe that you are a God of the unbelievable. You are a God who does miracles. You are the God. You are the hope of this world. And so we lay it before you, Lord. We bow before you, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.